Hello and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast that's really just a front for a gang of very cool and sophisticated art thieves. I'm Sarah. And I'm Emily. And can you please stop using the cold open to confess to federal crimes? But it sounds so fancy. Art thievery is probably the least offensive of the federal crimes. <laughs> I don't know. I would say it's up there because you're kind of, you don't just steal something from like, as far as like thieves, like murder obviously is worse. Um, Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you took that hard stance. Stealing a possession, you're stealing like culture. I don't know. I don't need to get like all that high and mighty. Someone should talk to the British Museum then. Yeah, well, I mean, they're the biggest ones, but... <laughs> I, I was having a, a debate with myself the other day because I didn't want to, like, make myself sound crazy to, to my, my husband who's agreed to, you know, live with me. But uh, <laughs> we were watching um, this Nat Geo series about ancient Rome and, like, there were dig sites in, in Britain, like where Hadrian's Wall is. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking... Do those artifacts belong to Italy, the Romans, or do they belong to Britain? That's a great question. I would argue that they belong to Britain, if only because they're only there because they were essentially colonized. Oh, that's by the true. Romans. That's true. So it's really part of their history more so than it would be like the Romans' history. I don't know. I I could see that being argued a different way. That's also like in terms of like issues that are culturally fraught, probably not as big as, you know, some, but <laughs> I guess if you break into someone's house and like demand that you only watch what you want to watch on TV, like the Doritos that you leave behind belongs to the person whose house that is. Yes. That analogy kind of like got lost, but you know, <laughs> I wouldn't disagree though. Yeah, you're correct. Uh, this is not what the episode's about. It's not. We are talking about art, though, specifically art theft. Uh, and so I am going to cite my sources before I forget. They are Wikipedia, Smithsonian Magazine, The New York Times, The Independent, uh, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. That's the name. That's the one. That's that's a hint as to what we're talking about. Uh, and then also there's a Netflix documentary called This is a Robbery, which is about this uh, crime. And it's very good and very thorough. And if this little, you know morsel of an episode isn't enough to satiate you, I would recommend checking that one oh, out. Oh, multimedia research. Yes. I mean, <laughs> I watched the documentary uh, when I was first researching this episode, um, like three months ago. <laughs> and so all I had to rely on was like the notes I took in the notes app of my phone. And I'm like, I mostly remember this. That's what I did in New Orleans. Like he'd say something on the tour and I'd just be like, Google... New Orleans vampire house little boy and like just pray that those keywords were going to get me through. Yep. They did not. So like I said, the list of sources gives it away. But today we are going to learn about what is arguably the most infamous art heist in modern history, the theft at the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum. Yeah, we don't hear about a lot of heists. I mean, other than fictional ones. No, like this is the only one I know of. I'm sure there are other big ones, but this is like the only one that's ever kind of made it onto my radar as someone who, you know, isn't, I like art, but I'm not like big into art, you know? I feel like that's a a branch of true crime that like maybe we should spend some more time on. 
Like, I know we've done, like, con men and cults and murder a bunch, but, like, heists. I want... Heists. A good I heist. want oxygen documentaries on heists. We need more of that. It's less uh, ethically fraught, I think. Yeah, less women getting murdered and more shit getting stolen. More mobsters stealing art. Spoiler. I bet you're wondering what the hell that was about. Uh, we lost what, like, 10 minutes of material somewhere in the... That might be generous, but definitely, like, a good chunk of material. We, we It was crucial to the story, um, so we're back <laughs> a few days later re-recording it. Um, Hi. A little peek got behind the curtain. I wouldn't have done this, but Sarah, you do sound less sick, so congratulations. Well, that's great. I'm glad I'm uh, on the mend, I guess. So uh, we'll we'll do that part again, and then uh, we'll keep going with the episode that we recorded uh, like three days ago. So there right. you go. This is you know it's just a little time travel in the middle of an episode. Everybody, I'm sure, is getting a big kick out of our technical difficulties. We're in the future, re-recording the part about the uh, the past. Yeah, as you do. All right. So, uh, located in Boston, the Gardner Museum was created by, uh, you guessed it, the very wealthy Isabella Stewart Gardner, hence the name. Uh, Isabella was a patron and collector of the arts. She had accrued such an impressive collection throughout her lifetime that in 1898, after the death of her husband, she drew up plans for her own personal museum, a Venetian Palazzo-inspired home in an area of Boston known as the Fens. This feels like he wouldn't let her do this when he was alive. That's not the impression I got. I didn't go deep into like her life. I think it was they like collected a lot of art together. And then after he died, she was like, well, I'm bored. Yeah. I guess I'll start another project. Okay. <laughs> not yeah. necessarily that he was like preventing. I think they were both very into, they had similar interests as far as like. Okay. So stuff. so it's it's like, well, I have all this art and I don't have anyone to share it with anymore. So I will. Yeah. Okay. Share with everybody else, I guess. Uh, so at the time, it was one of the only museums in this neighborhood. Um, this neighborhood is now home to the Museum of Fine Arts and, of course, Fenway Park. So it's, you know, big. <laughs> that place, big, yeah. Important neighborhood, yeah. Uh, there's a quote from This is a Robbery, the Netflix documentary that I really liked. It said, uh, she was eccentric in a time when being eccentric was a way for women to get out of the house. Unless you're Sarah Winchester, in which case being eccentric keeps you in the house. <laughs> You just make the house bigger. <laughs> so many wonderful creative ways women uh, express themselves in this time. I I mean, I don't want Travis to, to die. I feel like I shouldn't have to say that. But <laughs> like, I... Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, I, I do love the genre of, of women. It's like, well, my husband's dead and I have all of this money. So uh, let's get weird with it. Yeah, let's just you know, go out. What else are you going to do? You can't take it with you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, construction on the museum was finished in 1901, at which point Isabella moved into her private living quarters on the fourth floor and went about arranging and installing her vast collection of paintings, sculptures, tapestry, furniture, and rare books, around 2,500 items in all. I really like this like image of her just like spending her days just kind of going from room to room and like, you know, maybe moving a vase like two inches to the left, <laughs> straightening paintings. Kind of switching out, like, I'm sh I feel like she spent, this is just based on me, um, you know, writing Isabella Stewart Gardner fan fiction in my head, but I'd <laughs> like to think <laughs> that she was just like, she had a vision in her head and every day was like trying to perfect it. It, it is like Sarah Winchester, just on a, a less yeah. 
uh, spooky. <laughs> yes, exactly. The museum itself opened to the public in 1903, but Isabella acqu- continued to acquire new art until her death in 1924. On her passing, Isabella left the museum with a $3.6 million endowment and one very strict stipulation. Uh, the museum's artwork was to remain exactly as she had arranged it. No items could ever be sold <laughs> and nothing could be added. I think Isabella Stewart Gardner might have been a little type A. A little bit, maybe. Uh, If anything about the museum was permanently changed, uh, the will stipulated that the collection was to be packed up and shipped off to Paris for auction, with the proceeds going to Harvard University. (laughs) You know, Harvard needed the the money. Uh, While the museum was well-regarded, by the 1980s, it was running low on funds, and it showed. The building was in need of, like, just basic maintenance. It lacked a climate control system, which is insane to me. Like, you have priceless art, and you're just like, you know, it's fine. It can be damp in here. Yeah. It's not going to affect anything. Um, Even more crazy is they didn't carry any insurance. That is the part that blows my goddamn mind, because it's not even, like... Oh, we have to protect the art. Like, you don't even have to have a connection to the art. You just have a have to have a connection to the fact that, like, you, you, you it's your money. Like, yeah, you will lose and money. Like, and I will get into kind of like the kind of art that was in this museum. But you need to understand this wasn't like obscure pieces of art. This was like major, like Dutch masters, like Raphael, Botticelli, like major, major art. In yeah, this, this wasn't like coffee house art by local no. artists, which is it's also valuable. <laughs> but like these people are dead; they're not making anymore. Yeah, art of very historical significance. We'll put it that way. So insane. Uh, in 1982, predictably, the FBI uncovered a plot to rob the museum. After which, the museum did make some improvements to its security system, including 60 infrared motion detectors and a closed circuit television system monitoring the building's perimeter and a big dog to stand outside. Yes. <laughs> the Board of Trustees decided against installing security cameras inside the museum because of cost. I It just... Mm. Uh, I'll cut them some slack because I get the feeling they probably didn't have the money to spend. But at the same time, it's like, you gotta (sighs) go to your donors and ask for more money and like stress the importance of these changes that you're like, you gotta have a donation, have a bake sale. Uh, They also hired additional security guards, but denied a request from the security director to offer higher salaries in order to attract more qualified applicants. Well, that's Uh, normal business. Of course, yeah. (laughs) At the time, the museum guards were paid just slightly higher than the minimum wage. So, you know, you're you're getting good folks. Um, Oh, God, what was minimum wage in the 1980s? Like $3.50 an hour? (laughs) Probably something really, well, probably not that much different from what it is today because the minimum wage has not changed a lot. But it was Uh. definitely worse. Uh, Still, the only matter by which guards could summon the police was by pressing a button installed at the security desk. What about a phone? Did they have a phone? (laughs) I'm sure they had a phone. Uh, But just like for comparison's sake, other area museums had this system, like a fail-safe system, that required night watchmen to place hourly phone calls to the police. And if that phone call was in place, the police would show up. Like very much like a dead man switch sort of situation. Well, like... My Travis works at a a dispensary. Granted, this is modern times, but like even the dispensary that arguably does not sell priceless works of art (laughs) has a security system where like the other day, I think like a broom fell over and it called the police immediately. Like, oh, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. You 
you gotta you gotta go for the best here. If we're protecting the weed like that, I think like maybe an extra switch to call the police or something yeah. at the art museum. Uh, it's said, understandably, that the museum's secure- security flaws were fairly common knowledge around Boston's organized crime circles. Uh, so it came as no surprise to pretty much anybody that on 1.20 a.m. on Sunday, March 18th, 1990, St. Patrick's Day weekend, of course, uh, two men ring the buzzer at one of the side entrances to the museum. I'm just picturing the fucking boondock saints doing this. Well, hold, pit, oh, hold no. that thought in your brain. Uh, the guards on duty that night were Rick Abeth, 23, and Randy Heaston, 25. Oh, God. Babies. While Rick regularly worked the night shift, it was Randy's first night shift. Of course, it was Randy's <laughs> first day. Uh, Rick, who was staffing the security desk at the time, could see the men on closed-circuit television. They appeared to be wearing Boston police uniforms, and they identified themselves as such, claiming that they were there investigating a disturbance. Of course. This, this sure. is news to Rick, who hadn't gotten wind of anything. But given that, again, this was St. Patrick's Day in Boston, he assumed someone probably got drunk, hopped the fence, as you do. So... He admitted the two men at 1.24 a.m. through the side entrance, which was a breach of protocol. Rick, come on, man. <laughs> There's so many times during this, like, learning about this. Come on, Rick. Come on. Randy, get it uh, together. <laughs> upon entering the museum, the two men approached the security desk and asked Rick if anyone else was at the museum, at which point Rick radios Randy to tell him to come back to the entrance. While they're waiting, the shorter of the two men starts eyeing Rick, and he finally remarks that, yeah, Rick, Rick looks kind of familiar. He's pretty sure they've got a warrant out for his arrest. What? So, <laughs> the police demand Rick come out from behind the desk and produce some identification, uh, and Rick does as he is told, separating himself from the museum's only panic button and the only way for anyone in the museum to alert the police. You press the panic button and then you come out from behind the... God. Once he's in the foyer, uh, the two men forcibly handcuff Rick. And as they're doing so, Randy comes back. God damn it, Randy. (laughs) Get him. (laughs) Handcuff him as well. Both of these guys are out of commission. Uh, And then they announce, gentlemen, this is a robbery. No shit. The two men proceed to wrap duct tape around the heads and eyes of the guards before leading them to the basement. We're joking a lot because this is kind of funny in hindsight, but this would be absolutely terrifying to hear these two guards. No, all my Uh, apologies to Rick and Randy. Like, how the fuck are you supposed to know that's going to happen? Yeah, and this, I'm sure, was completely traumatic because, like, you you probably think you're about to get killed. Uh, They don't. Spoiler alert. Oh, good. Still. Uh, so, yeah, they get wrapped, duct tape wrapped around their heads, their eyes, then they're taken to the basement and handcuffed to a steam pipe. <laughs> they uh, The thieves make a point to take their wallets and look at their IDs, making, you know, vague threats with the knowledge that they now know where these two guards live. So, you know, better behave. I'm looking forward to the release of our goddammit Randy mugs. <laughs> <laughs> goddammit Randy. Uh all in all, it took them about 11 minutes for the two thieves, and we can definitely call them thieves now, because they that's have what stated they are. that it's uh, a robbery. <laughs> yes. Uh, it takes them about 11 minutes to subdue the guards. So it's now 1.35 a.m., and the two men begin make, to make their way through the gardener. Thanks to these infrared motion detectors, we do have kind of like a fairly detailed record of their movements that evening. Oh, good. We know what order they sto- stole all the fucking art in. 
Yeah, very useful. Uh, so the first room they enter is the Dutch room on the second floor at 1.48 a.m. So this is a full 13 minutes after they had left the guards in the basement. So it's presumed that they were maybe kind of just waiting around to make sure the police had not somehow been alerted. Well, they didn't use the bathroom before they left the house. So they had to, like, take care of it. Yeah, that. of course. Before you start getting work. So in the Dutch room, the thieves began pulling paintings down from the walls. They removed three Rembrandts, uh, the Storm of the Sea... Storm on the Sea of Galilee, oh. a lady and gentleman in black, and landscape with obelisk. Uh, and they throw them against the marble floor, uh. shattering their glass frames. I know this is the uh. where you, it's just, it hurts a little bit. Shattering their glass frames before cutting the canvases uh. from their stretchers. Yeah. Uh, they also attempted to remove a large self-portrait by Rembrandt, but also ultimately left it leaning against, leaning against a cabinet. Uh, unlike the others, it was painted on wood and not canvas, so it was probably just considered too large to transport. Oh, we can't fuck this one up. We should leave it. <laughs> yeah. They did take uh, one of Rembrandt's self-portraits, another one of self- Rembrandt's self-portraits, but this is just like a small little etching the size of like a postage stamp. Jesus. So you can throw that one in your pocket and be on your way. That's a tiny painting. <laughs> it is in like a slightly larger frame, I think, thinking from the pictures, but yeah, it's just, it's just a little guy. <laughs> Literally a little guy. It's just a little, little guy. It is literally a little guy. Oh. So finally, they removed a final Dutch masterpiece for Mir's The Concert and an ancient Chinese vase dating back from the 12th century BCE. What the fuck was that doing in the Dutch room? Very old vase. I don't know. Isabella thought it looked good there. Fair enough. <laughs> who am I to question her interior design? Yeah. Who are we to question Isabella Stewart Gardner? She has three names. So from- <laughs> From here, at least one of the thieves moves on to the shark gallery at the other end of the museum Wait, at about... Did you say shark gallery? Short. Short okay. gallery. Okay, because I was like, she either said shark or shark, and both of them are equally weird. <laughs> the shark gallery, where they keep the sharks. <laughs> it's better than the shark gallery, honestly. <laughs> it's just pairs of pants. <laughs> Ruins pairs of pants. <laughs> uh, it's a little avant-garde, but Isabella knew what she was doing. <laughs> it's the modern one. <laughs> so, in the short gallery, yeah. uh, they grab five Degas sketches, oh. sketches uh, an attempt to steal a Napoleonic flag, but apparently they got impatient just trying to unscrew it from the frame. It was in like a big glass case. Uh, so they abandon the flag and instead grab the exposed eagle finial atop of the flagpole, probably thinking it was gold, but it was really just gilded bronze. <laughs> so this really had no value at all. They probably just thought it looked cool. These guys are kind of stupid. <laughs> Finally, the thieves went back down to the first floor to remove Manet's Shea Tortoni from the blue room. Uh, from there, they return to the basement to check on the guards, and then they make a final stop at the security director's office. Uh, there, they remove the video cassettes that would have recorded their entrance to the museum, as well as the printouts from the motion detectors, though seemingly failing to realize that the data would also be recorded on a hard drive, which they left intact. In 1992, so it was probably like the size of a briefcase. Yeah, but they also probably didn't know what it was. It's true. They probably just assumed that like the printout was it. <laughs> Uh, so they make two trips back out to the car with the artwork, one at 2.40 and a second and final time at 2.45. In total, the robbery lasted 81 minutes. It took them 81 minutes to get, what, like, eight paintings? 
Yeah, and yeah, and that's what they said. It should be noted, like eighty-one minutes is a lifetime in a robbery. Like usually, it is you get in and you get out and you get the hell out of there. Uh, so these guys were very confident that they were not about to be interrupted by the police. And I mean, because they are fair. the police. <laughs> uh, so it wasn't actually until the next morning uh, when the next start- set of guards showed up oh, to no! start their shift that like people knew what was going oh, on. Oh, but Randy and Rick. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they arrived at the museum to find the security office door busted open, the empty frame of Shay Tortoni on a chair, and after a search, Rick and Randy still handcuffed in the basement. Poor These Rick poor and guys. Randy. That must have been a rough night. Oh, can you imagine just trying to fill the time? But yeah, with duct tape around your head and your oh, mouth. My God. Oh, I guess you just kind of have to sit there with your thoughts. That's. Yeah. I. And that's, like, not a situation you want to, like, be with just your thoughts, because I'm sure all your thoughts are, are these guys going to come back and kill us? Because we saw It was Randy's first day on the job, too. It wasn't Randy's first day. It was his first night shift. It was his first night shift. That's... Yeah. Or, sorry. Yeah. But still. What a rough way to do your first night shift. So, altogether, the pieces of art the thieves did or did not make an effort to steal do make for kind of a puzzling collection. Uh, so they certainly made off of like irreplaceable treasures. The concert, for example, is one of just 34 of Amir's that have survived to the modern Oof. day. Uh, and the storm on the Sea of Galilee in particular carries some of the most historical significance as it was Rembrandt's only seascape. Well, and uh, Rembrandt's are pretty valuable just in general. Yeah, I feel like Rembrandt is like fairly synonymous with like classic expensive art. Like, yeah, Rembrandt's a when big When did deal. he paint? Was he 17th? Seventeen, uh, 17th century? 17th, damn. Uh, okay. So like 1600s, yeah. 1606 to 1669, nice, is when he lived. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so despite this, the thieves passed up valuable works by Raphael, Botticelli, and Michelangelo, names I'm sure you all know. That's like two of the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> and the fifth Ninja Turtle, Botticelli. <laughs> He was the cousin that came in in season four, and no one really liked him, so he went, he went back to Italy. Yeah. Uh, they never even set foot on the third floor of the museum, which held the museum's most valuable work, Titian's The Rape of Europa. That was a lot of words that some were funny and some were upsetting. <laughs> I'm also not sure I'm pronouncing Titian correctly. <laughs> I might just be pronouncing it in the funniest way. Oh, God. I hold on. I need to see what this word looks like because I I refuse to believe that there's a famous artist named Titian. T I T I A N. Wait, it's it might be Titian. You moron! It's Titan. No, there's an I in there. T I T I A N. But I don't think it makes it pronounced Titian. I think it's Probably. pronounced Titan. It's either Titian or like Titian. Uh, hold on. You would oh, pronounce the I. It's Italian. Artist pronunciation. Wow, we are um both wrong. Oh, it's Titian. It's Titian. <laughs> Titian, okay. Titian. Titian, yeah. The sixth Ninja Turtle. Uh, he was not included for obvious reasons. Obvious reasons, yeah. <laughs> so this, along with the rough way in which the artwork was handled, probably suggests that the thieves were not art experts. Obviously. <laughs> Uh, it's also theorized that they could have been working off of a detailed list. So, like, maybe they were kind of shopping around for specific items that someone else had picked out. Okay. Uh, the paintings themselves are certainly famous enough that they would have been difficult to fence, which probably means they already had a buyer. 
Uh, due to the museum's lack of funds, never mind the lack of an insurance policy, uh, the gardener asked auction houses Sotheby's and Christie's to post a reward of $1 million for information that would lead to the recovery Where of the Where the paintings. fuck were they going to get the million dollars? From the auction houses, clearly. <laughs> Uh, so this amount was increased to $5 million in 1997 and will be doubled to $10 million in 2017, the largest ever offered by a private institution. Uh, and I think the fun fact is that's the um, the only bounty that's ever surpassed that is like the $25 million offered for Osama bin Laden by the U.S. government. Well, you know, when you think of, of uh, Osama bin Laden, you also think of... Rembrandt. Federal prosecutors have stated that they wouldn't press charges against anyone who returned the artwork willingly, and in any case, uh, the statute of limitations for this crime expired in 1995. It's only five years for art theft? Apparently. Uh, So yeah, they wouldn't be able to prosecute anyone involved anyway. Uh, So despite this, no one has ever come forward to claim the reward, which is puzzling. Yeah, that is... I mean, I'm trying to think of like what could have possibly happened with that. Well... We'll get into theories. Don't oh, worry good. about it. Uh, so speaking of right now, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the robbery, investigators were suspicious of the museum's two security guards, particularly Rick Abeth. The two men that were tied up with duct tape around their head in the fucking basement? Yes. Uh, I think the theory from the beginning of that was that they had stolen the art, but they had somehow helped the thieves. So, while on patrol, the motion sensors, motion sensors detected Rick opening and closing a side door, which some speculated could have been a signal to the thieves as they were parked outside. Or he went and had a smoke. That was my thought, too. Um, Rick apparently told authorities that he, like, did this routinely just to ensure the door was locked, which, oh. as a person with anxiety, I, I get. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would yeah, yeah. do that. Uh, especially if it's like just one of those push doors, you kind of like walk past it and maybe just kind of like, you know, push on it yeah, a little yeah. bit and just see. Yeah. However, one of the other security guards did state that if this was a case and Rick was frequently opening and closing this door, it would have likely been noticed on the computer printouts and they would have put a stop to it. But I don't know, maybe. Uh, so more suspicious uh, is the theft of the painting Shay Tortoni. So, this was the only painting stolen from the blue room on the first floor of the museum. However, motion sensors in that room didn't detect a single footstep there the entire time the thieves were in the museum. So, the only time those sensors were activated the entire night were during Rick's earlier patrols. Ah! This would imply that the Shea Tortoni had to have been removed from the blue room early in the evening. It's like, we know they went in there because they took the painting but there's no evidence that they went in there. Uh, So a security consultant inspected the motion detectors in the week after the heist and declared they were all in working order. Although Hmm. they go back to him in the Netflix documentary and he like actually gets to like page through the log of the motion detectors, not actually look at the motion detectors themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, And apparently there he notices like a few unexplained gaps and the gaps in the readout. And he kind of just ends up admitting like, it is likely there could have just been a power glitch and they just didn't work for that period of time. And I mean, this makes sense. Like it's an old museum. This is technology from the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, I think it's probably most likely that they just didn't work for whatever reason. Yeah, It's not like they were dealing with like mission impossible level, like laser fields. Yeah. Uh, Rick, for his part has always maintained his innocence. Uh, He told NPR in 2015 that he was quote, 
just this hippie guy who wasn't hurting anybody. That's probably <laughs> true. Uh, it seems it does seem investigators largely agree, thank God. Uh, by all accounts, he's been ruled out as a person of interest, and the FBI agent who oversaw the case uh, in the first few years after the heist, um, this is a quote directly from Wikipedia, quote, concluded that the guards were too incompetent and foolish to have committed the crime. Rude. I am firmly on Team Rick and Randy at this point. <laughs> team Rick and Randy. Uh, a more likely theory, and one accepted by pretty much just about everybody, was that this heist was carried out by Boston organized crime. Not super organized, but... <laughs> uh, so if you're going in that direction, the most obvious suspect would be Whitey Bulger, who was one of Boston's most powerful crime bosses during this era. Uh, Bulger had strong ties with the Boston police, which could explain how he got the uniforms that these are wearing. Uh, he also liked to funnel money and guns to the Irish Republican Army. This was during the Troubles, of course. Um, and they had previously been linked to a number of art heists. Apparently, this is the thing they did. Like, they would steal some paintings and then trade them for guns on the black market. Um, Why do you, but Bulger denied... Bulger was... Sorry, go ahead. I thought he did stuff in the 20s. I, he was... He's recent? Oh, yeah. He, like, died in, like, 2010 or something. What? Yeah, you, you don't remember hearing about him get arrested? No, oh, I he remember died in 2018. I remember Johnny Depp played him in a movie, but no, Johnny Depp played uh uh what's the name? He stayed in Minneapolis. The one with the big dick. Um, um sorry, that is a reference to something that we'll have to cover in a minute. Um John Dillinger. Yeah, he played, he played Dillinger, Dillinger, but he also played Did he play Whitey Bulger? Pretty, yeah, in Black Mass. For some reason, I thought that movie... I've never seen it. Uh, I have seen the one where he played uh, Dillinger, but... Oh, no, this movie very clearly takes place in, like, the... Okay. I thought he was, like, an old-timey gangster, but... Nope. No, he was arrested in, like, 2011 and died in 2018. He was... He's he's a new guy. This cast is insane. (laughs) Benedict Cumberbatch is in... Oh, my God. Benedict Cumberbatch with the accent. Can you imagine? Oh, God. Well, now I know I gotta watch this. Yeah. Well, I learned something. Oh, Jesse Plemons. Um, <laughs> David Harbour. Adam Scott. Dude. Jesus. What the fuck? Corey Stoll. Peter Sarsgaard. Kevin Bacon. Are there any women in this movie? Uh, Dakota Johnson. Oh, well, you, they got the one. They got the, the one woman. Um, oh, there's, there's one other one. Oh, Juno Temple's in it from uh, Ted Lasso. Hmm. Well, that's your movie recommendation. Actually, I don't know. I'm not going to speak for this movie. It could be hot garbage. <laughs> so now I know that Whitey Bulger was is recent and he didn't do stuff in the 20s like I had previously thought. Yeah, no, Whitey Bulger uh, is Generation Z. Not real. He's um, a Gen Z <laughs> mobster. Yeah, uh, but he denied any involvement. There was nothing really substantial connecting him to the crime beyond, you know, he was Whitey Bulger and <laughs> ev- that was the he was the big deal at the time. Other yeah. than like who you are as a person, we don't really have any evidence. <laughs> but I'd like to present this is- who you are as a person. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> to be fair, Whitey, uh, notable you've asshole, done this before. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> speaking of people who were suspicious just because of who they were as a person, uh, there's Miles Connor, a New England-based art thief. <laughs> I mean, given his uh, title, yeah. 
He had actually already stolen a Rembrandt from Boston Museums of Fine Arts right down the road uh, as a scheme to negotiate himself out of some prison time. So Um, apparently his plan was like, he keeps the painting, he hides it. uh, And then if he gets arrested for future crimes, presumably not the crime he was doing, but future crimes that he would also do, uh, he could give up the location of the painting in return for a lighter sentence. Um... Not quite how that works, my man. I would just rather not commit crimes, but... It's kind of like people who, like, commit a murder and then try to burn the building down, or, like, rob something and then try to burn the the building down. Like, just because you've done a different just crime... more evidence. Like, yeah. there's still the big one. Yeah. Uh, Connor seems probably like a pretty good suspect, but he was actually in jail when the heist took place. Presumably his plan didn't work that great. Or it could have been like Logan Lucky and someone broke him out of jail. They did the heist and put him back in jail before anyone noticed he was gone. I'm sorry I just spoiled. I like this theory. I'm sorry I just spoiled Logan Lucky for for people, but it's been out for like five fucking years. (laughs) So this didn't leave him entirely off the hook because he could have done a Logan Lucky. (laughs) Um, There was also some speculation that Connor could have, like, outsourced the crime in that. uh, uh, And then Connor himself just told the police he knew he did it. (laughs) So he named two criminals by the name of Bobby Donati and David Houghton. So Connor claimed to have worked with Donati on past heists and uh, that the two had even cased the gardener together. Donnie was associated with a patriarchal crime family and could have committed the robbery to negotiate the release of his boss, uh, Vincent Ferrara, out of prison. I wish I could do a Boston accent because I'd be making fun of these names so hard. <laughs> it's it's a lot of it. Oh, boy. Just wait. Uh, so in 2014, this is quite a few years down the road. So this is all stuff we it's learned like 25 later. Um, years later. Yeah. Yeah, an associate of Ferrara claimed that Donati had visited his boss in jail about three months before the robbery, assuring him that he was about to do something that would get him out of jail. I'm sorry, but that heist does not feel like three months of planning. (laughs) That feels (laughs) like 45 minutes in the car on your way to the heist. (laughs) After Ferrara got news of the Gardner heist, Donati visited him again and confirmed he'd been a part of the robbery and that he had buried the artwork and was just waiting for the investigation to cool down before he could start negotiations. Uh, But that never happened because Donati was murdered as part of an internal gang war in 1991. Uh, And it's actually very likely that like he was so motivated to get Ferrara, Ferrara out of jail because he needed his protection and just didn't do it fast enough, I guess. <laughs> it's just insane to me that we were still having, like, these gang wars in the fucking 90s. Like, it, Oh, yeah. It definitely... Fe- I mean, I know, like, the mob is still kind of a thing. I don't know a lot about the mob, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I don't think it's... It's definitely not as big as the way it was in the 90s. <laughs> uh, in, like, the 80s. And also, like, many decades before that. <laughs> yeah, I've mostly just seen The Godfather and the... Oh, what's the good fellas? Yeah, that's basically it. I've only seen the Departed. Is that a, what? What time period does that take place during? That's like modern day. No shit. Well, yeah. That's uh, Ben Affleck, though, isn't it? Nope, uh, Matt Damon. Oh, good. One. I like that one. <laughs> it's good. It's got Martin. Uh, Martin. Uh, shit. What's his Sheen? name? Sheen. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> It's got Martin Sheen and Leo DiCaprio and uh, Mark, what's Wahlberg? his face? Yep. Thank you. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, I can't do it. I just sound yeah, like and Kennedy. Vera Famiga. It's the first oh. movie you ever saw Vera Famiga in. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Yeah. 
I, I've been thinking Ben Affleck was in it, so I was like, ah. No, I think you're thinking of The Town. I am which is another of Boston crime-based movie. That has yeah. Blake Lively in it, though, so you'd think she'd be able to save it, but... Oh, Jeremy Renner's in that, too. Welcome yeah. to Movie Talk. Um, we talk about <laughs> movies that we haven't seen. Let's name all the movies that have taken place in Boston. Uh, Boondock Saints. Yeah. <laughs> Boondock Saints those 2. Are, Actually, those no, are I, the three. <laughs> I think uh, in Boondock Saints 2, they go back to Ireland, but that can't confirm. Sounds right. <laughs> You have to go international. I honestly in the can't one. remember if I've ever seen the second Boondock Saints. It's possible I watched it and just like have completely forgotten about it because it was so forgettable. It's not good. Like the first That's... one already isn't. I mean, though, the first one's great. I love it. Uh, but it's not good. Yeah. The second one is a sequel to a movie that already wasn't good. Yeah. So. That's my, like, understanding of it. I just don't know if I, like, came to that conclusion myself or if I've just, like, been accepted. Who knows? But, uh, Man, I can't so- wait for St. Patrick's Day. I love watching that movie. <laughs> well, then you've got a whole cast of movies you can watch um, on St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, Leprechaun uh, and, and Boondock Saints. Those are the only yep. two movies you're legally allowed to watch unless you're too young and then you watch Luck of the Irish. Yep, that sounds about right. <laughs> So Donati murdered uh, Houghton, the other guy. He also died within like two years of the robbery, but his was illness. He didn't get murdered. Uh, If they had been in possession of the paintings, it's unclear what would have happened to them after Donati's death. At least one person has claimed that Donati had gave the paintings to a close friend of his named Bobby Garante. Of course. For safekeeping. Put Put a pin in that name. We'll come back to him. And Bobby? Bobby Garante. Okay. Garante? Bobby, Italian last name. Yep. <laughs> so none of this, of course, was known in the 90s. This is all kind of new stuff. So when the Donati lead initially fell through, Connor directed authorities toward another associate of his, an antiques dealer named William P. Youngworth, uh, insinuating he may have had some knowledge of where the art was being hidden. So acting on Connor's lead, the FBI began conducting raids on Youngworth's home and antique store. This caught the attention of a Boston Herald journalist named Tom Mashberg, who reached out to Youngworth to ask him about the theft. So Youngworth, surprisingly, was willing to talk. Uh, And in August 1997, he called Mashberg up and told him he knew where the Gardner paintings were and could lead authorities there if they ponied up the $5 million in reward money. Of Of course. course. Yeah. So to prove his claims, the two met up and drove to a warehouse in Brooklyn, where Youngworth led Mashberg to a dark storage locker and unfurled what he claimed was storm on the Sea of Galilee from a large cylinder tube, illuminating it briefly with his flashlight. So Mashberg (sighs) saw just enough to notice the cracking along the canvas, uh, the rough edges where it had been cut from the frame, and Rembrandt's signature on the rudder of the ship exactly where it should have been. This kind of feels like an Animal Crossing when you buy paintings from that shady-ass fox in the boat, (laughs) and, like, there's one thing off in the painting, like, Mona Lisa has, like, a Bluetooth earbud in or something, (laughs) and you have to, like, identify it to make sure you aren't buying fakes. If this was any less recently than 1997 i would or any more recently than 1997 i would have just assumed he like printed it off the internet (laughs) uh but just as quickly as it had been revealed the painting was stowed back in its tube and mashberg was ushered away (laughs) i'm just picturing this like all right unfurling there you go yep (laughs) back in the tube see basically yeah yeah i got it i got it you saw it (laughs) Yeah, and that's kind of where my skepticism comes in, because if you're really trying to prove it, why not let him get a good look at it? 
I mean, like the fox in, in Animal Crossing lets you inspect that shit as much as you want. Um, yeah. But I, when you did start, like, to prove that he did this thing, I swear to God, I thought you were going to say, he mailed him a severed corner of the painting. <laughs> well, just wait. Um, oh, no. <laughs> uh, so Mashberg wrote about his experience in the Boston Herald, at the time shielding Youngworth's identity. He reported that his informant had claimed the robbery was pulled off by five men, including Bobby Donati, who acted as one of the thieves, and David Houghton, who was responsible for moving the art to a safe house. Uh, the FBI later discovered the location of the warehouse and raided it, only to turn up nothing. Authorities disputed Mashbrick's sighting and were skeptical of Youngworth, who refused to work with them without the promise of full immunity. Uh, and so the U.S. attorney demanded more evidence in turn. So Youngworth sent Mashbrick some paint chips, uh, which were turned over to the FBI for examination. And they ended up being from Lowe's. <laughs> it was concluded that while they were consistent with paintings from Rembrandt's era, it didn't match any of the oils that would have been used in Storm of the Sea of Galilee. So they just fucking shredded some other old paintings? <laughs> I guess. So the chips were consistent with a pigment known as Red Lake, which is very common in the 17th century. It could have possibly been something from the stolen Vermeer. But again, like, Vermeer was not the only person who used this pigment. It could have been any ancient painting. Uh, so not considered an old conclusive painting. evidence. <laughs> Uh, also, the way Mashberg described the painting as being unfurled also cast some doubt into his sighting. So the painting was actually covered by a layer of heavy varnish that would apparently make it quite difficult to roll up. But who knows? That's the one thing I've learned from watching art restoration videos on the internet is that uh, they cake those bitches with varnish oh, yeah. that like yellows and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so talks with Youngworth eventually fell apart and just nothing really came of that particular lead. Great. So, yeah. So, in 1997, the same year they were chasing the Youngworth lead, FBI informants told investigators that they had overheard Carmelo Merlino, a mid-level mob associate from Quincy, Massachusetts, mention that he was looking to trade the stolen art in order to collect the $5 million reward. So is this guy just always holding a cannoli, or? <laughs> it's like, I don't think you can, like engineer a more mobster name than Carmelo Merlino. <laughs> it's classic. It sounds like it. a candy bar. <laughs> uh, so Merlino was later arrested in 1988 as part of an unrelated sting, completely not related to the paintings. And while investigators promised him leniency if he gave up the location of the art, Merlino denied knowing anything about it. Oh, fair uh, enough. He and his gang stayed on the FBI's radar, however, and several years after the robbery, two of his associates came to their atten attention, George Reisfelder and Leonard DeMuzio. Wow, that first so, guy just, like, breaks the Italian name. <laughs> I know, he's just got a, kind of got a name. Uh, both resembled sketches of the Gardner Thieves, as described by the museum's guards. Uh, George Reisfelder also drove a 1986 Dodge Daytona, which is the same model of car several witnesses claimed to see idling outside the museum on the night of the heist. One even claimed to have looked inside the car and seen two men dressed in police uniforms. So we can presume that this was, in fact, the car that they Who's had Who's going around just looking in strangers' cars at one in the morning? Teenagers, apparently. They interview him in the documentary. It's kind of creepy. Is like he's creepy or the concept? <laughs> no, is just creepy? like the situation. It's just like you're walking down the street in the middle of the night, and there's these two guys parked in the car, just as police officers. And then you learn the next morning that this museum's been robbed. I don't know. 
Yeah, I guess that is kind of creepy. Uh, so this is tantalizing, certainly, but the real bombshell evidence is that two members of George Reisfelder's family, including his sister-in-law, claim to have seen Manet's Shay Tortoni hanging in his apartment just three months after the robbery. Oh my god. Can you imagine <laughs> just this priceless work of art hanging in some Boston like, fucking idiot's yeah, it's studio just like, yeah, apartment? Right, right here over my bed. Like, I just think it really adds something to the uh, the foyer. <laughs> the funny thing is they interview the sister-in-law, and that's exactly the kind of vibe you get. It's really great. She's so cool. She's fun. Just got all this fucking art, and you know. <laughs> so in 2013, the FBI announced that they had identified the thieves with, quote, a high degree of confidence. And while they did not name names in their press <laughs> conference, uh, court documents did name both Reisfelder and Damasio as persons of interest. Both men had died within a year of the heist, Reisfelder due to a drug overdose, uh, while Demuzio was allegedly killed by another member of the Merlino gang, David Turner. This oh my god. A common, common situation. Uh, David Turner's name has also been floated as a possible thief. I I really struggled with this whole section of the episode, because it's, it's a lot of just like red lines on a police ske- like board, like, oh, it's just insane. I mean, we just finished the Zodiac, and so if we're not here for speculation and red yarn, what are we here for? Uh, So while David Turner had an alibi for the night of the heist, he he had allegedly been spotted by a surveillance team taking what appeared to be a Chinese vase from the trunk of his car. So A surveillance team for what? uh, Like, they were surveilling him because he was a criminal. Oh, okay. No, that checks. Okay. Uh, so David Turner, like I said, his role in this whole deal is really kind of unclear to me. Um, but beyond being a part of Merlino's gang, along with everyone else, he was also particularly close to Bobby Garanti. Remember that name I said to put a pin in? I did put a pin in Bobby. Yep, here's Bobby. Uh, so it's apparently very common in the art heist world that thieves that steal the art don't actually keep control of it for very long. So like even in instances where thieves have been caught relatively quickly, it can sometimes take years for the art to be recovered simply because they pass it along and they have no idea where it went. So yeah, I I feel like art thief is less stealing art for yourself and more like being contracted to steal art for other people. Essentially. Yeah. So one possible link in this chain is Bobby Garanti, who was another Boston mob associate, along with being connected to the Merlino gang and all these folks. He was a friend of Bobby Donati's, who had been mentioned earlier. So Garante died of cancer in 2004, but in 2010, his widow, Aline, told the FBI that he had once been in possession of the paintings. All these wives and sisters and stuff just being like, oh, he's dead now? This motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> So according to her story, when Garanti learned he was sick, he handed off the paintings to another associate. This is just like... Another Bobby? This is Bob... Yeah, actually. His oh name is Robert God. Gentile. <laughs> so many Bobbies. It's just like telephone of one mobster to one another. So <laughs> Gentile was indicted on drug charges in 2012. Likely a move to get him to give up the location of the paintings. Uh, Robert Gentile was a mobster from Connecticut. I think I forgot to mention that. Uh, uh, con- but despite- a mobster from Connecticut? <laughs> Connecticut. Oh, yeah. There's a big mob scene in Connecticut. Is there? Yeah, I think around like... No, I'm thinking Providence. That's Rhode Island. But yeah. like there's a Rhode Island that. mob is even more ridiculous. <laughs> We're the clammy boys. Uh, <laughs> all these New England towns have their own mobs. So uh, weird. So, 
Despite heavy pressure from investigators, Gentile denied knowing where the art was or ever having held it in the first place. Uh, but the FBI didn't believe him. <laughs> so <laughs> they raided Gentile's house and found a secret compartment hidden beneath the floorboards of a shed in his backyard. Uh, there were no paintings there. What was it there? His My Little Nothing. Pony collection? Like- no paintings, no conclusive evidence he'd ever had the paintings. The best that they found. Shitload of Beanie Babies. <laughs> So many Beanie Babies. Uh, they found a newspaper clipping of the Boston Herald's original reporting on the theft, along with a list of the paintings and their values. What is that? It's so, like the fucking end of the Da Vinci Code. Like, they don't find it. They just find a note that's like, sorry. Ah, yeah. uh, shucks. We lost it. Moved uh, it. So this is interesting. It's certainly not damning. Gentile claims that the note had been written up by another criminal. Not him, of course. Another criminal. <laughs> Uh, looking to broker return of the works from Garanti and that Gentile was just an intermediary. So who knows? My God. Gentile, Gentile stayed in prison until 2019. He doesn't appear to have made any effort to negotiate down his sentence. Uh, he continued to not to deny he had the paintings even when he was on his deathbed. So it seems likely that if he'd ever had the art, it was no longer in his possession by the time he went to prison and he died in 2021. So we'll never know. Great. Well, until his his widow speaks up. Yeah. So the only member of the Merlino crew still living now is this David Turner guy. He was arrested as part of the same sting that netted Carmelo Merlino in 99. uh, And he was only released in prison from 2019. Oh, wow. So according to the Netflix documentary, Bobby Garanti had viewed Turner as a son. And so there were some rumors that he had floated the idea of returning one of the Gardner paintings in return for a more lenient sentence for Turner. Um, it, that he had even reached out to a lawyer, but apparently he died before that any negotiations could begin. <sighs> Sorry, that just sucks real hard if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Uh, interestingly, around 2012, after Gentile had been arrested, Turner got seven years shaved off his sentence for no apparent reason. This is all from the documentary. Uh, and then his release in 2019 was also six years ahead of schedule. Maybe he started like a book club and they were rewarding him for good behavior. And he was just Maybe he was just a real nice guy who killed mm-hmm. many people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so like the documentary makes a big uh, deal about this. They talk about Turner a lot, but like despite all that, like he hasn't made any attempt to collect the reward since he's been out of prison. He has given no indication that he knows where the paintings en- ended up. So we're like pretty sure the mob did this though. Like, yeah, like we're pretty sure it's these guys that like organized it, but where they went from there is less of a mystery. It's possible the FBI knows a little bit more. So as part of their 2013 it's press conference. Possible. Possible. So investigators stated they believe the art was transported via organized crime networks from Connecticut to Philadelphia, where a tipster reported seeing Storm on the Sea of Galilee in 20, 2009. Um, they haven't really released much in the way of details beyond like their they're the, they only have this belief that the art is too hot to sell and there's been no updates. So it's possible like they have some evidence that they know how, where about the art maybe ended up, but they aren't sharing that with the public, mm. which makes sense to me. Oh, this is a nice painting. Are you looking at Storm of the Sea at Galilee? Yeah. Yeah, they're all real nice. Rembrandt was a pretty cool guy. Well, good artist. I, I'm not sure about his personal life. Yeah. Yeah, I know nothing about Rembrandt beyond he painted stuff. Which, you know, but. that might be all we know about him. I, <laughs> I fell down a, a Wikipedia hole the other day reading about Hieronymus, Hieronymus Bosch. We know oh, yeah. nothing about this guy. <laughs> he was like medieval, too. I think 
there's some I'm of not his even paintings. sure he painted anything at this point. Like <laughs> he just had interns. I think he's got some paintings in the Prado in Madrid, so I'll have to make sure to see some of that when I'm there. Yeah, I, I've wanted to see one of his paintings. Um it I guess a fun fact in the movie Event Horizon, uh <laughs> that I know <sighs> in that whole like horror orgy thing towards the end spoiler i don't know it's i've never seen event horizon but that it, sounds about what i expect from that movie it's amazing uh sam neil full stop uh anyway they based that off of hieronymus bosch painting so i was like well what what's the deal huh. with this and then you know 45 minutes later i'm like i know less about this man than when i started <laughs> sounds about right so today if you visit the Gardner Museum you will see empty frames hanging in the place where the stolen paintings once stood. We're so we're going, you, right? Like that's Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is like 100% on my must see list in Boston next okay. fall. Uh so due to the conditions of Isabella Stewart Gardner's will, the museum isn't allowed to replace them. So all they can do is wait and hope that one day they'll be returned. They could commission someone like do like a little art contest for the kids and like see if they can recreate them. <laughs> Draw your version of Star on the Sea. Or you can just print it off from the internet. <laughs> it's just a piece of printer paper taped on the frame. <laughs> taped on the frame. I would do that. I would find that funny. I don't know if the museum staff would. Or just like a wanted poster, like, have you yeah. seen this painting? Yeah. I will say I am very not optimistic that if the paintings are recoverable, they are in a state that is very good. Because <laughs> it sounds like they've probably been kept in, like, warehouses and... Ugh. I think uh, someday, some old rich guy tangentially connected to the mob is going to die, and his estate is going to get cleared out, and we're going to find them, and they are going to be in shitty condition, but that's going <laughs> to be, like, a while from now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably pretty close to the truth. Yeah, because you can't display them. Like, they are still too hot. Like, that's the thing I don't get about stealing, like, big works of art. Like, where the fuck are you going to put them? Can't I mean, have- you sell them. Yeah, you sell them to other criminals for other illegal goods. Like, that's really the only market there is. For yeah, you can't display them. Paintings. So, like, at this point, you're just like, I have a Rembrandt. I can't put it out because I'll get arrested immediately. But, like, <laughs> I have it. I guess you can put it in, like, your secret crime room. You know, the secret crime rooms that people have because they're all yeah. fucking Dr. Evil. Don't know mobsters have a secret crime room where they like, like you hit a lever and it just the wall flips around and it's just a bunch of like yeah, Rembrandts and, like and stolen paintings and guns and I don't know, maybe a <laughs> pool table. Ah, yes. The ever important pool table. What else are you going to do in your crime room? Crime? I don't know. Plan more crime? <laughs> I will say it's kind of a bummer of a story to uh, research because, like, these are beautiful works of art and they're just gone. I'm going to say it's less of a bummer than stuff that we've researched previously. It's definitely less of a bummer than people getting murdered. I mean, there is a lot of murder in the story, too. (laughs) Yeah, but that's, like, mob murder, so I feel like it counts less because it is one of those cases of, like, you are in the mob. Yeah. You probably fucked up. It's not a teenager in a car. Maybe someday. If we ever hear an update, we'll let you know. Yeah, maybe it'll be like all of those unidentified people cases that I obsess over and then I find out and it's just like some guy from Pasadena. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out they actually accidentally left them in the basement and they've just been there the whole time and no one thought to look. (laughs) They just left them in the bathroom. It's just leaning against (laughs) one of the stalls. I am excited to go visit, though. Oh, it's yeah. Not, it looks like a beautiful museum. I want to see what this lady put so much put so much effort into. She seems pretty cool. 
we're gonna find out that she like murdered children in her basement or something. I mean, didn't they all? Probably. <laughs> Anyone born before like eighteen fifty is a war criminal, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyone who saw the Victorian times has committed a crime against humanity. We don't know what they are, <laughs> but they were committed. That was very interesting, though. I I think I knew, like, oh, art got stolen, and it was, like, weird, and we don't know who did it, but that's kind of where my knowledge stopped, so. Yeah, it's a really interesting case, and I think that... I think the image of like the empty frame still hanging in the museum is really what gets me because it's just like it. Yeah, it's haunting. It really kind of emphasizes just like they're gone. <laughs> like they, yeah, they can't replace them. So I don't know. I like it. It's a cool story. It's very dramatic. It is. It is. I can't believe there's not a movie. But um, go watch oh, the uh- Netflix documentary if you are really into this. They really get into the mob stuff. Like. Lots of graphics and pictures. It's much easier to understand when they explain it. So. so I guess my question is, who would you cast as Rick and Randy? <laughs> um. Oh, what's that guy's name? Blake Nelson? Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> no, not Tim Blake Nelson. I'm thinking of, like, he's got the long curly hair. What, what has he been in? Ah, uh, I don't know. I think he was, like... He always kind of plays like stoner guys. Uh, Blake actor long hair. This is a Google suggestion for me. Ah, uh, Blake, here he is. I got a picture of him. What's his name? Blake Anderson. Oh. Oh, so you want the you want the workaholics guys? Yeah, that guy. I mean, I think if you look at like uh pictures of real life Rick Abeth, it's basically him. Oh, oh right. Definitely I kind of forgot vibe. for a second these were real people that looked like something. So um yeah 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 blake anderson for shirzies mm-hmm. oh they have pictures of him with the, oh i googled him and they have pictures of this poor man all wrapped up in duct tape and oh yeah those are kind of upsetting honestly it's blake anderson what's the other guy's name uh randy randy, randy heston he h-e-s-t-a-n-d ah all right, what do we got for Randy? Who's going to be Randy? Well, he just looks like a guy. I've never actually looked Randy up. What's his deal? Oh, uh, yeah, he's just a guy. So I, I think it could technically be Anders, um, Anders Holm. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then we'll get uh, we'll get the other guy, Adam Devine, in there somewhere. But yes, Blake Nelson yeah. and Anders Holm as Rick and Randy. <laughs> I think that's good. That's good casting. Done and done. Yep. Uh, Adam Devine is probably busy, so he can have like a cameo as a um, teenager that looks in car. <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, if you know who committed the art art gallery heist, uh, tell us, not the FBI. Um, if you've got the art in your attic, if you have the now. art, send us a picture on Instagram <laughs> at Afternoonified. <laughs> can also email it to us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, our website is getafternoonified.com, where you can also find merch. Uh, we still have our summer camp merch available. Um, maybe a Team Rick and Randy tote. I don't know. <laughs> damn, uh, it, Ra- damn it, Rick. <laughs> still debating that uh, Zodiac merch. <laughs> 
<laughs> Damn it, Randy. Yep. Yeah, uh, remember to rate, subscribe, review, all of that fun stuff. And we will see you next week for a mini and then um, another episode. I don't know where I'm going with this. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> Goodbye. We love you. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to SoBelowMedia.com. This, this is As Above, So Below.